your Bibles today, and I trust that you do. If you can open with me to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 3, and welcome to week 4 of our Jesus in the Old Testament series. The first time, the premise is the first time that we meet Jesus in the Bible is not as a baby in Bethlehem, the son of Joseph and Mary, but actually the first time we meet Jesus is in the Old Testament, in the very first book of the Bible. We meet him in Genesis. We meet him all throughout the Old Testament. We see him in, in prophecies concerning him. We see him in types and patterns pointing to him. We see him presently. We know that through Jesus, according to John 1, God spoke creation into existence. We see hints of Jesus as the seed of promise in Genesis 3. We see him in Adam and Eve's first sacrifice. We see him as Noah's ark of salvation. We see Jesus as the traveler appearing to Abraham. We see him as the God who sees, who appeared to Hagar when she was fleeing away from Sarah. Last week, we saw him as Jacob's ladder, the one who connects heaven and earth. From Genesis, we move to Exodus, which, like the book before, it provides us glimpses of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to see Jesus in the burning bush as the great I am. And just a little background here, a little background on Moses. Moses' life can be divided into four sections of 40 years. The first 40 years of Moses' life, he lived in Egypt. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter, adopted son who was brought in. He learned all the, the ways of, of Egypt until he killed a, an Egyptian uh, servant. Till that moment. The next 40 years of his life, he spent in this place called Midian. He was a shepherd of his father-in-law's sheep. Not his own sheep, but his father-in-law's sheep. He spent 40 years there. The last 40-year period of his life was spent herding a different kind of sheep, almost herding cats, you could say, um, as he led the, the people of Israel out of Egypt and toward the Promised Land for 40 years. When we approach Moses in Exodus 3, Moses is now in a rut. For 40 years, he had been living in the land of Midian, tending his father's sheep day after day, week after week, year after year, sheep and goats and goats and sheep, oh my, for 40 long, tedious, boring, uneventful years. This is the life of Moses. It would be enough to test any of our, our faith. The second 40 years of Moses' life was so much different than his first 40 years. He was raised in a palace of Pharaoh. He had access to power, prestige, wealth, entertainment, education, and the greatest monarch on earth that it could provide at that time. Yet he was forced to flee, like I said, for he took the life of an Egyptian taskmaster. Thus, he entered or left this regal royal life in Egypt. Settle instead for this ordinary, routine, never an exciting moment day in Midian. He woke up every day, kind of like Groundhog Day, every day, sheep and goats. After 40 years of this, the glamour of Egypt had, had to have all but been forgotten by him. And then one day it happened. One day it happened. Perhaps Moses was seeking better pasture for the sheep. Perhaps he was seeking shade from the sun. Perhaps he was chasing after one of the sheep that had gone astray. The why is not really important here. What is important is that one moment 
Moses is on ordinary ground. The next moment he is on holy ground. One moment he is in the presence of sheep. The next moment he is in the presence of almighty God. Just think about the difference there between dirty sheep and holy God in a moment. So I want us to dive into this text today and get ready to behold Jesus. And before we do so, let me just say this. Maybe you're here and you've never seen Jesus in this passage. Not every scholar agrees with this. Most do. Um, I was able to see where many of the early church fathers found Christ here. So we're going to set this up. If for some reason you walk through and, and leave today and you say, well, I don't believe that, I will show you a declaration of Jesus that will at least show you this is a type of Christ and who he is. But if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read Exodus 3, verses 1 through 14 together. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen. Beginning at verse 1, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you just thanking you for who you are, that you are I am, that you are the God who... You will be who, who we need you to be. And Lord, we just praise you for that. We pray that today we would come to see you, Jesus, in the midst of this text as the one who is revealing yourself, as the one who is altogether holy yet compassionate, and you are showing forth to us the glory of God. Father, as Samuel said, Lord, speak, for we are listening. As the psalmist said, open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your word. Oh God, have your way. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may 
be seated. So what we just read is Moses here, he's minding his own business. He's living this pattern of his life that he had basically set up for 40 years, this pattern day in and day out. He arrives at this mountain with his father-in-law's sheep. He's not looking for God at all, but God is looking for him. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in this flame of fire out of the midst of this bush that was burning, yet it wasn't consumed. And that was something that Moses just simply had to see. Moses not only looked at the bush, he made a decision to turn aside, to go to where this bush was, to look further into these things. And the word, the phrase there, turn aside, literally means to go off the beaten path, to step off the normal road. So in the midst of this ordinary, everyday experience of tending flocks, something disrupted Moses' ordinary life. And he stepped off this ordinary, normal road, off the beaten path to discover what was happening, what was going on. He was opening himself up in this moment to the unexpected, to the overwhelming presence of God. And, And that's the same way God works even today. I don't know if you know this, but God seeks out people who aren't even looking for them. I mean, the beautiful thing is if you want to know what God is like, he's the God who pursues you even though you're not looking for him and even though you might be running away from him. You run as far as you can and guess what? You get to a place and you're huffing and puffing and you look up and he's there. He is there. Praise be to God. He's there. Yet the important question for us becomes who's in this bush who's in the midst of the fire who is this angel of the lord and the angel of the lord has both fascinated and yet confused many readers of scripture at times he seems like just an, a messenger sent from god with a message at other times his identity is magnified as he speaks the very words of god most writers believe that the angel of the lord here is Not a created angel, but a manifestation of God himself. Most people believe that this is a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus Christ. It makes sense. He's always been. He didn't just show up 2,000 years ago. He's always been. He's always cared about his people. And here he is. The angel of the Lord shows up several times in the Old Testament. But here's a couple of facts, or three facts, about the angel of the Lord. I kind of want to lay before you real quick. First is this. The angel of the Lord uses the exact same language and authority as the Lord himself. It's almost like what happened when Jesus showed up on the scene, and all the other prophets were saying, thus says the Lord. And Jesus showed up and said, truly, truly, I say to you. He wasn't quoting the Lord anymore. He was saying, I am the Lord. Hear what I'm saying. Here's what the angel is doing in this moment. Number two, Hagar, Jacob, Balaam, Gideon, Samson's parents all had a very similar experience with the angel of the Lord. And all of them came away with the same conclusion. I have seen God face to face. I have seen God. I have encountered God. All of them. And then number three, and this is my favorite, the angel of the Lord does not appear again after the birth of Jesus. It's almost like this angel said, I'm no longer needed to appear in this way because something else has happened. In fact, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, pouring out grace upon grace upon grace to us. There was no more need for the angel of the Lord to appear after Jesus took on flesh and showed the glory of God to us. No wonder Jude, 
In the New Testament, Jude, verse 5, because there's only one chapter, says this. Jesus saved a people out of the land of Egypt. Jude says it was Jesus who led the people out of Egypt into Israel. Jesus Christ, he's the God of Israel. He's the hero of the Bible. So I want to lay four truths before us today. And there's going to be some confusing moments because I'm just going to refer to God and kind of get confusing. But understand this, Jesus is God. In case you want to get confused, he is God. So referring to Jesus in this moment. The first truth is this. Jesus manifests the glory of God. So the first truth we see here in this passage, Jesus manifests the glory of God. Look at verse 2 and 3 again or on the screen. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it wasn't consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight while the bush is not burned. Now there's actually bushes in the wilderness that secrete an oil that when under extreme heat, they literally catch on fire. They're called gas plants or burning bushes. I was reminded today, I forgot about this, our first trip to, to Haiti. We were walking up this mountain, and it was so hot. Larry, do you remember this? So hot, and there was literally a burning bush on the side. I mean, it was on fire. Now, in the midst of that, there was a thorn bush that some of us stepped on, and it went right through our shoes and messed up our days. But it was kind of a, a picture. I mean, burning bushes, gas plants, but generally the flame burns down. It, it goes out. But here in verse 3, Moses takes notice of this bush because there's a fire going, but it's not going out. The law of thermodynamics is being violated in this moment. Though this bush burned with fire, it did not diminish. The leaves did not curl up. The branches were not charred in any way. It burned, but it was not consumed. And this burning bush is supposed to give us a glimpse into God, and I say the fullness of God here. So the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, their eternal, self-sustaining nature. So the, the fire burned continually in this bush without burning up the bush. And what we know is this, fire needs fuel. When fire no longer has fuel, the fire does what? It goes out. That's what it does. But the fire that Moses saw was self-sustaining. It didn't require anything. In the same way, God, the eternal I am, needs no external fuel. He needs nothing. Nothing precedes him. Nothing sustains him. Nothing contains him, especially a bush. Especially a bush. And many scholars believe that this bush that burned here was an acacia bush. It's the same tree or bush that was used to create the, the Ark of the Covenant that we read about at the end of Exodus, uh, the end of Exodus, this Ark that would be built by acacia wood and covered with gold. But this acacia bush was also a thorn bush. Now, follow with me here. I don't know if you remember this, but in Genesis 3, when God shows up to curse the serpent, to give judgment on Adam and Eve, part of the curse, God said, he said, cursed is the ground because of of you in pain you shall eat all the days of your life thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you so part of part of the curse upon of sin upon creation are thorns and weeds so when you're outside in the spring day pulling weeds you get to look up and say thanks a lot adam and eve Th thanks a lot for this but the the symbol is thorns became an emblem of the cursed earth became an emblem of that which is cursed and here, don't miss this, God is speaking from the very thing that he had cursed. 
don't miss it. For in a much greater way, he continues to speak today through Jesus, whom he cursed. Who bore the curse for us and even wore the crown of thorns upon his head for us. Jesus speaks through, or God speaks through what he cursed. Now more about this bush. Jewish interpreters have long said this bush represents the nation of Israel. It represents Israel's commonness in the midst of all the great nations surrounding it. And the fire represents the afflictions by which the nation of Israel has been inflicted. They have suffered as a nation mightily, yet they have not been consumed. So Old Testament Jewish interpreters, many view that as the bush is Israel. Now New Testament interpreters say a different story. They say this, which is, I'm in agreement, the bush is Jesus for Jesus was set on fire by the wrath of God on the cross, yet he was not consumed. He was not consumed. He died and he rose again. And then think about this fire. The presence of God is always revealed many times. His glory revealed through fire. The fire here in Exodus 3, in Exodus 13, the pillar of fire by night. In Exodus 19, the fire on the mountain of God. And this fire symbolizes that the God that we serve is separate from, he's separate from us. He's other than us. He's a completely other being. Remember when Jesus calmed the storm, the disciples said, what manner of man is this? The question is, where is he from? Like, what in the world? He's not from these parts. He's not around here. Who is he? He's other than us. And this is what the fire represented. It's not just that God is like us, and that makes us want to draw in. No, we understand God is distinct from us. He's different from us, and it makes us want to turn aside and see who he is. Now, quickly, I want to take us back to the bush. And there's a book entitled The Saving Life of Christ by Major Ian Thomas. And in it, there's a chapter included that says, entitled, Any Old Bush Will Do. I just want to read an excerpt from this and just see how God might speak to your heart in this moment. He writes, God has something to say to Moses. And I think it must have been something like this. You thought this was a very remarkable bush. You thought there must be something about it once peculiar and wonderful, something unique that it could burn and burn and burn. But you are wrong. Do you see the bush over there? That scruffy, scraggly-looking thing? That bush would have done. Do you see this beautiful looking bush so shapely and fine? This bush would have done. For you see, Moses, any old bush will do if only God be in it. The trouble with you, Moses, is this. Forty years ago, learned in all the wisdom of Egypt in your pride, pride, mighty in word and deed, you admired your own foliage. You thought you were some bush, you were something else, but you burned yourself out in 24 hours and you have been a heap of ashes for 40 years. If this bush that you have admired were depending upon its own substance to sustain the flame, it would burn itself out in 24 hours. It too would be a heap of ashes just like you. But it is not the bush that sustains the flame. It is God in the bush and any Old bush will do. And then he writes a few questions I want to ask you. Just think about these questions. Have you ever made this discovery? Have you ever come into the place where you realize that all you can produce at your best is ashes? Ashes. 
Have you ever come to the place where you presented yourself for what you are, nothing, to be filled with what he is, everything? Have you come to that place where you understood in you there is nothing, in him is everything you will ever need? Only remember, any old bush will do if it is presented to God for his use. Let him use you. And let me just say this. Meditate on where the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses. And then meditate in this moment. Where has Jesus appeared to you? Where has he appeared to you? What has Jesus said to you? And what are you doing with it? Listen, if you're walking around going, yeah, Jesus appeared. To, Jesus spoke to me 20 years ago. Well, how is that impacting your life today? Well, it's not, but he spoke to me 20 years ago. And I love telling people about it. Then it's worth nothing. If it's not impacting your life right now, it's worth nothing. Nothing. It's worth nothing. What is Jesus telling you and what are you doing about it? Don't sit around and pat yourself on the back because you got a word from God if you're not doing anything about it. Oh, be a representation of his glory to a lost and dying world. Jesus manifests the glory of God, but then secondly, Jesus reveals the holiness of God. And just so we know, it's not about to get any easier for us. He reveals the holiness of God. Look at verses 4 and 5. Just follow along. Look at it on the screen. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him. Stop there. It wasn't until Moses turned aside that God spoke to him. Some of us in our lives, we're wondering, God just seems distant. I hadn't heard from God in a while. It seems this or it seems that. Have you turned aside? Are you so busy with your life that you're not turning to him? You're so busy going about your life, carrying all your burdens, carrying it all of it, telling people how hard you have it, and yet you aren't turning to him. There might just be a reason why God's not speaking, and the reason might be you. Might be you. That you're not turning aside to him. You're not turning off the normal road of your life and letting God speak. For it wasn't until Moses turned that God spoke. It wasn't until Moses gave God his attention that God spoke. Maybe, just maybe, God isn't speaking to you because you are filling your life with everything else. And you're not giving him your attention. Give God your attention in this Moment. So God called to him out of the bush, and God said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Remember a few weeks ago, we said that means I report for duty. I am here. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now, when you want to emphasize something in Hebrew, you double it. You repeat it. But when you repeat a name in Hebrew, it's a sign of intimacy. It's a sign of relationship. In Genesis 22, God said, Abraham, Abraham. Here, God said, Moses, Moses. In 1 Samuel 3, God said, Samuel, Samuel. In Luke 10, God says, Simon, Simon. I believe in Luke 20 or Luke 22, God said, Martha, Martha. In Acts 9, he came, Jesus came to Saul and said, Saul, Saul. It's a sign of intimacy here. And this is the first time in the Bible the word holy appears. So the first time in the Bible the word holy appears, and it's holy ground because the Holy One was there. Now there's a lot of superstitions around us that some places are more special than other places, but that misses the point. God didn't show up because this was a special place. This became a special place because God showed up. Let me say it again. God didn't show up because this was a special place. It was special because He showed up. 
This is a beautiful picture. And when God showed up, God said, Moses, Moses, here I am. Don't come near. Now, what's going on here? Is God toying with Moses? Like saying, I want you to come, but you can't come. So what's happening in this moment? In this moment, it's a warning. It's a reality check. The Lord is telling Moses, I am holy ground. And if you come too near, you will burn up. You will burn up in my very presence. You see, the God of the story of redemption from beginning to end is a God whose perfect love is matched by his perfect holiness. Is matched by his perfect holiness. So, of course, Moses responds the same way that Adam and Isaiah did. Fallen Adam, when he hears God coming, he hides. Isaiah, when he sees the holiness of God, he says, Woe is me, I am undone. Moses does the same thing. He hides his face. He basically is declaring his undoneness in the presence of this holy God. This is a mark. This is the mark of a true encounter with God. We are drawn to him, but the closer we get to him, the more we realize he's different. He's holy. And as soon as we draw near, get this, we feel threatened. We feel threatened. We feel shrunken in light of his greatness. We feel stripped in light of his knowledge. We feel dim in light of his glory. And we feel dirty in light of his holiness. We feel those things. And God says to Moses, take off your shoes since you are on holy ground. And this reminds us, we can only come to God on his terms. You, you don't create God in your image and worship that God. Let me say something this morning. I don't know if you ever thought about this. If we got to create God, we would never create a holy God. We would never, ever, ever create a God who is holy, holy, holy. We would create a God who's just above us with all power to do what we want him to do, but he wouldn't be a God that threatens us. Yet this God is holy, holy, holy. In all of his ways, he is holy. And we come to him, and Moses took his shoes off. And let me say, brothers and sisters, I don't know what you're going through in this moment, but here's what I, I know. The sin of the human condition is this. If things are going our way, then praise be to God. God's near to me. If things aren't going our way, God, where are you at and what are you doing? And we, we sometimes think if God is giving us what we want, he's God. If he's not giving us what, he, what we want, then God, what are you doing? And when we become that way, let, let me tell you what we're becoming. We want to be God. If we want God, if you want God to do everything you want him to do, then you don't want God to be God. You want to be God. And let me just give a declaration for us today. We would be terrible gods. We would be terrible, terrible gods. I can't even oftentimes find my car keys every time, let alone try to keep up with everybody else. We would be terrible gods. Brothers and sisters, I don't care what you're going through today. I don't care what hardship is coming into your life, what difficulty you are carrying. Let me tell you this. If you are a child of God, take off your shoes for you are on holy ground. For he is with you whether you feel it or not. Whether you see it or not, he is up to something. But don't ever forget who he is. It's easy to lose sight of his majesty. It's easy to forget that God is like C.S. Lewis's Aslan, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. The great lion who amazingly awesome, yet he's not safe. I think about the conversation between Lucy and Mr. Beaver, where Lucy said, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver said, safe, safe. Of course he's not safe. Who said anything about being safe? He's a lion, but he's good. 
listen, our Savior, he's not safe. He's not going to take us and just keep us in safety. The goal of Jesus for us is not safety, it's sanctification. But he's good. He is good. Jesus reveals the holiness of God. Third, Jesus expresses the compassion of God. He expresses the compassion of God. And this is where it starts getting really good for us. Because in verses 7 and 8 it says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. I have come down to deliver them and to bring them up out of the land of Egypt. Now this is the, to this point, Moses' experience with God is emphasized separation between God and himself. Moses could never burn without being consumed. Moses could not speak from the midst of a fire. Moses couldn't keep on his sandals in the midst of divine, the divine presence. Moses was not the eternal God of the patriarchs. This separation between Moses and God was real, yet God, even in the midst of the separation, is showing his care and his concern for his people. Please hear this today. Yes, God is separate from you. And God is separate from me, but he is not distant. He is not distant. Don't miss it here. He cares and he is concerned. And God isn't appearing in this moment to Moses just to show, hey, I exist. He's appearing here to say, Moses, I'm involved. I see. I see what's going on. And it says this, I have come down. Now, twice in the book of Genesis, God came down, but he came down for judgment. At, at the Tower of Babel, it says God came down, but he came down to divide them and set them apart, confusing their language. Then, Solomon and Gomorrah, God came down, again, bringing judgment. But here, God says, I have come down, but the purpose isn't to bring judgment. The purpose is to bring deliverance. The purpose is to d- deliver his People, this God who is an all-consuming fire is also consumed with compassion and sensitivity and love and mercy and grace for us. Those words, I have come down, it might seem strange when you think about an omnipresent God, but it is a sign of a God who cares. A God who cares. Listen, the true God, the declaration of the word of God is this. We, God doesn't exist for us. We exist for God. That's the the picture of Scripture. He is actively involved in the world that he has made. And even when it seems like God is not silent or he's not around, he's doing something. God is up to something whether you see it or not. He's working whether you can see it or not. Will you trust him in that? I love verses 11 and 12 because Moses says to God, Moses says, God, who am I? You want me to go to Pharaoh? Who am I? I, and I love verse 12 because of what God doesn't do. Moses says, who am I, God? And God doesn't do what we would think God would do. God doesn't take Moses' self-esteem and just pat him on the back and say, Moses, look with me in this mirror and repeat after me. I am good enough, I am smart enough, and people like me. And so Moses is sitting here in the mirror, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough. Or God's not looking at Moses at this moment saying, Moses, I want you to visualize you smashing the head of the Pharaoh. And and visualize it again and again and again, building up his self-esteem. That's not what God does. God doesn't look at Moses and say, now Moses, you can do it. 
I have faith in you. No. No. Instead, in verse 12, God says, I will be with you. I'll be with you. That's God's answer. God's answer to us is not building up our self-esteem. God's answer to us is not saying, just have more faith in you. God's answer to us is, I will be present with you. Let me say this today. So many, so many times our faith becomes just like a saggy mattress. Have you ever slept on a saggy mattress? Maybe just one person there. This side is firm. This side's firm. In the middle, boom. And many times our faith is just that way. We look back over here and we go, my sins have been forgiven. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All my sins are forgiven. My past is taken care of because of Jesus. Praise be to God. We look over here on this firm spot, which is our future, and we say, I have a future home in heaven, and it will be a glorious place. I will be with God forever. No more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more death. Every tear wiped away. Praise be to God. Firm, firm. And yet here we are in the midst of our lives, trusting this, trusting this, and yet going I just don't know what God's doing. I don't even know if God's real. I don't even know what God is doing. Does God even care about me? Does God even know what I'm going through? Does God even know this? Does God even know that? Brothers and sisters, if we can trust God to forgive our past, and if we can trust God for our eternal future, how dare we question him with our present? How dare we question him with what we're going through in this moment? If God can take care of the most important thing in your life, which is your salvation, he can sure enough deal with your difficult people, your difficult circumstances, and everything else that we go through. He is more than able. Let him be God. Behold the compassion of Jesus. Think about when Jesus came. When Jesus came on the earth, full flesh, he walked around and he said, he looked with people. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd, he had compassion upon them. In love, he had compassion upon Lazarus and Mary and Martha, loving them. Compassion in the way that he responded. And brothers and sisters, he has compassion on us. Amen. He has compassion on you and on me. Jesus expresses the compassion of God. And then lastly, lastly, Jesus embodies the person of God. He embodies the person of God. Don't miss verses 13 and 14. So 13 and 14, Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, God has sent me to you, and they ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Another translation of that is this, I will be who I will be. It means Yahweh. I read a devotional thought this week that says this, I have long wondered why God would call himself by such a name, but slowly I am learning its significance. A sentence needs only two things to be complete, a subject and a verb. So when God says his name is I am, it conveys the concept that he is complete in himself. He is the subject and he is the verb. He is everything we could possibly need. So when God says I am, that's a complete sentence, declaring his complete way of meeting every need in your life and my life. And Jesus makes this make sense for us. He connects this in John 8. In John 8, 58, Jesus having this conversation with the Pharisees, or it's more of an argument, and it says, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. 
Maybe that doesn't do it for you or connect the dots there. But what Jesus was saying is, I'm God. I am Yahweh. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. And in case you don't understand that, the people that heard Jesus say that, they understood it. They picked up stones trying to kill him because he claimed in that moment to be God. Listen, Jesus has no equivalent. If you make an equation with Jesus and you put Jesus equals, there's nothing you can put on the other side except God himself. That is who he is. He is God. And I am means I am who I am, not I am who you think I am. In this moment, God in Christ is not just declaring his existence, but a particular kind of existence, meaning Jesus is saying, I am self-existent. It's different than us. We exist, but we're not self-existent. We depend on him. Jesus depends on no one. In fact, let me just give you a little, little thought here. If you got mad at God and you looked at God and you, you wagged your fist at God and you said, God, drop dead, God would keep on living. If God got mad at you and said, drop dead, we'd be planning your funeral. That's the picture of the God that we serve. That is him. He is the self-existent. He is not dependent on us for his existence, but we are completely dependent on him for our existence. This is who he is. He has always been. He will always be. The difference between God and us is more than the difference between a sun and a candle. It's more than the difference between the ocean and a raindrop. It's more than the difference between the, the universe and the room that we're in right now. God's not in the process of becoming something. He is. Listen, we're changing. Every single one of us, we're changing. We're changing for the better or for the worse. All of us, every day of our lives, there's changes that happen in our lives. We're changing. God isn't. He's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and he will be the same forever. For him to be I am means he always exists. Eternity past, eternity future. There was a time where you and I began. There was never a time where he began. He is not becoming anything except in one way. Let me give you a a little contradiction here. Jesus doesn't become, God doesn't become, other than to become whatever we need him to be. Which is exactly what Jesus is saying here. He's saying to Moses, you tell him, I am. I am who I am, or I will be who I will be, or in a different way, I will be everything you need me to be. I will be the pillar of cloud in the day to protect you from the sun. I will be the pillar of fire at night to light the way. I will be the angel of the Lord over you to lead you. I will be the commander of the army of the Lord that will give you victory after victory. I will be the one who provides for you and giving you manna. I will be the one by which water pours forth from the rock. I will be whatever you need me to be. And that is still true today. He will be whatever you need him to be. There is so much summed up in those two words, I am, that makes us just fall on our knees in worship of him. Let me end this way. I want you to think about the life of Jesus and think about the declarations of Jesus. If you're here today and you feel like you're in darkness, hear Jesus who said, I am the light of the world. To any who thirst, Jesus said, I am the living water. To any who feel like you are lost, Jesus said, I am the way. To those who feel confused, Jesus said, I am the truth. To those who are under the curse of death, 
Jesus said, I am the life. To those who feel uncared for in this world, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. To those who feel like they need a fresh start in life, Jesus said, I'm the door. Enter in. Enter in. To those who are crushed by the consequences of sin, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And for those who are in need of spiritual nutrients. Maybe you're running on absolute empty. Jesus said, I am the vine. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You in this moment might feel so sinful, yet he is so gracious. You in this moment might feel absolutely weak, yet he is absolutely strong. Don't miss this. Whatever you're not, whatever you lack, whatever you need, whatever you're not getting from others, he is. He is. And because he is, it takes pressure off of us. Hear this, that we don't have to be. You don't have to be because you're not. I don't have to be because I'm not, but he is. Oh, how he is. In fact, think about it this way. We encounter God when we come to the end of ourselves. And when we come to the end of ourselves, I am is there. Have you come to the end of yourself? Have you come to the end of yourself and found him there? I'm going to say something. I'll ask you to repeat. I've said this before, but just repeat after me. I am not, but I know I am. Say it again. I am not, but I know I am. Listen, we're not. We can't. We don't. But we know him, and he can, and he has, and praise God, he will. He will. Let me end this way. The bush is still burning today. The bush is still burning. God is still trying to get your attention and my attention. Are we turning aside to him? Are we listening to him? Are we getting ourselves off the normal path that we've placed ourselves on in order to hear from him? Are we taking our sinful sandals off because we are in our own holy ground? You see, you and I, we're not enough. We're not holy enough. We're not strong enough. We're not righteous enough. We're never enough. Yet he is forever enough. He is forever enough because he is I am. He is whoever we need him to be. He is. Oh, that we would lean on him. Oh, that we would trust not and lean not on our own understanding, but trust in him. Have you turned aside? Have you heard him? What is he telling you to do? And are you doing it? Don't just live off some experience you had with him 20 years ago. If your testimony is more than 24 hours old, get a new one. Get a new one because God is at work now, right now. And he wants to use you in the midst of his work. Just ask God to open your eyes to what he's doing so that you can join him wherever he is. That's the point. God's at work every day. And God is saying, all I'm asking you to do is join me in what I'm doing. Just join me in what I'm doing. Oh, to God that we would. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. And we're going to call the band back up as we enter this time of invitation and consecration. And let's pray together. Jesus, we come to you in this moment declaring, Lord, that you are glorious. Jesus, you are holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of your glory. 
And Jesus, you are compassionate. You care. We are able to cast every care on you because you care. That's not a throwaway line. You care. Jesus, you care for us. You care for each of your own. You care. Help us today, Lord. Turn aside and trust you for who you are. You are the I am. You are Yahweh. You are You will be who you will be. You will be everything we need you to be. As you were for Israel, as you were for the apostles, as you were for the early church, you will be for us. For you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. I pray for anyone on the sound of my voice who doesn't know you, that today would be a day of salvation. Today would be a day of coming off of that normal road of sin, that normal road, God, of trusting God ourselves, that normal road that leads to hell, and that we would turn aside to you, turning to you for the first time, Jesus, as Savior and Lord, confessing with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believing in our heart, God, that you raised Jesus from the dead. For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, I also pray for children of God in the sound of my voice. Lord, if we, we're being honest, there are some who have turned off of that side road and turned back to the normal road of life. And we have filled our lives with so many distractions. So many things keep us busy that we don't hear from you like we used to. And you're waiting for us to turn aside. You're waiting for us to look to you. You're waiting for us to call out. God, may this be that holy moment of calling out. That holy moment of turning aside again to you, O God. Finish this time. In Jesus' name, amen.